Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me this week, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. Hopefully, he's as excited for this week's show as I am because we have a special guest on to go through 15 to 20 on the 2020 big board. Mike Ribbonoff has done some incredible work for the Stepian. You may have heard of the website if you're a draft nerd like me. And you've likely come across a lot of his insights and observations on Twitter. So he's going to share his thoughts on some prospects here and tell me why I'm wrong about where I have some of these guys. But in all seriousness, before we get into that, we're taping the show on Wednesday, September 16th, which means we just witnessed one of the most surprising Game 7s in NBA history last night with the Denver Nuggets closing out the L.A. Clippers. And I want to share my thoughts on that before we deep dive into the draft talk. So first of all, this, this was one of the best playoff series I've seen in a while between the Nuggets and the Clippers for a variety of reasons. But the biggest thing I want to touch on for the audience is the, the spirit and the happiness that Denver's played with, not, not, just, not just here in this series, but throughout the playoffs. It's honestly refreshing to hear guys talk about playing for the love of the game versus hearing nothing but championship, championship, championship all the time. And, and obviously they're paid professionals working to win a title, but on the court, there's more that goes into team chemistry other than just killer instinct and the will to win. If you don't love what you do, then you shouldn't be doing it. That's, that's easy enough to follow, right? The Nuggets, particularly Jokic and Murray, they just love the hoop, man. They, they believe in each other. They believe in their coach and their organization. And most importantly, in the teammates around them. The patience on offense was, to me, the most impressive thing I witnessed from the Nuggets, particularly in Game 7. And, and that doesn't come from anything other than those points that I just mentioned. No one's forcing the offense. Everyone, especially Jokic, was patient. They read and reacted to what the defense gave them. And having a big man who can play off the short roll and score or assist in so many ways is a luxury to have for sure. But the maturity and the understanding to wait and make the extra pass, no matter the pressure from the defense, that's remarkable to say the least. When you feel pressure, it's not always easy to be patient and keep the trust you have in those around you. The Nuggets, they, they've done that. They'll continue to do that. And it's going to lead them to success, further success in this postseason, but absolutely down the road. And on the other side of the table, you could just feel the lack of trust on offense with the Clippers, as well as the desperation. They, they weren't patient enough. By the time they started to swing the ball and look for better quality shots, it was far too late. Too many guys just ended up standing there and, and staring at Kawhi and Paul George like they were going to take them somewhere no matter what. Uh, the, the sense of arrogance, like we're better than you. No matter what happens, we're going to win. Play, playing purely to be better than someone, that's not what the Nuggets believe in, and, and that's why they won the series. Patience, trust, chemistry. The Lakers have it. The Celtics and the Heat both have it. And that's why those are the four in total with the Nuggets remaining teams left in the playoffs, plain and simple. So for everyone out there listening to this podcast, wanting to play or coach the game of basketball at a high level, don't ever forget to play and coach with joy, respect everyone around you, and continue to have faith and trust in one another. Those are life lessons that shouldn't be taken out of the game of basketball by any means and should be remembered no matter what you're doing. So joining us now, as promised, we have Mike, Twitter scout, who has done work for the Stepian. Mike, how are we doing this afternoon? Good. Uh, excited to be. I love doing draft podcasts, so I'm always excited to do these. Absolutely, and I'm excited to have you on. I think we're going to have some great discussion today. So I want to jump right in here and, and start with 15 on the Draft Deeper 2020 NBA Big Board. 
um, with Josh Green, who I feel he's the most undervalued prospect in the class, certainly by my observation. Uh, 6'6", Toolsy Wing, who's a classic case in some respects of the, the master of none theory, right? Skilled in many different areas on both ends, but I wouldn't classify him as a specialist in, in any particular part of his game. But nevertheless, he's arguably one of the best pure athletes in the class in terms of speed and verticality, excellent feet and hands, especially on the defensive end. And I truly think he can be the best defensive player in this group because I've seen him succeed in off-ball defensive situations as much as on-ball. And as I've mentioned on previous episodes of the pod, I feel as though a lot of prospects are severely lacking in off-ball awareness these days, in part to coaching at lower levels and just not being exposed to, to high-level defensive systems. So, Mike, I want to toss this over to you. I mean, talk to me about what you see from Green um, defensively and how do you think his game will translate overall um, on that end from day one? Yeah, I love Green, man. I think, like, I kind of agree with you, but I'm even, like, more extreme. Like, why not – you say he's really underrated. I totally agree with that. Why not go even higher with him? Like, I have him, like, top 10 right now. I mean, so I, I would put him – I would I had him top ten for the to start the year. I, I have him at fifteen right now, just because I think a lot of the guys that I've already talked about um, earlier in the podcast in my lottery, I think they've solidified themselves as as having higher potential star or, or very high end role player upside. And and I see Green, he he's on the surface level of that, right? Like like I can absolutely see that outcome. But I think coming into the NBA. I think he's going to be cast more as a role player. And if he can do some certain, some certain things well, especially on the defensive end, and then we'll get into some of his, um, some of his offensive strengths. I, I think that when, when you're kind of put into a role player category, it, it, it's not a, as often that you see those guys kind of take that step from that. Like if they're, if they show that they're able to do certain things well enough, they kind of get pigeonholed into those roles. Um, and that, that might be something that I might talk about with the guy um, further down this list as we get deeper into the pod here. But um, I, I think defensively, that's where he's going to definitely show what he's made of first coming into the league, right? I don't think he's going to be asked to do a lot of different things offensively other than spot up shoot, which we'll get into. Um, but but just defensively, the way that he can guard multiple positions, two through four, um, I, I think he's certainly a versatile enough defender, probably going to get some 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 assignments guarding a few point guards here and there. But certainly what he's going to be able to do, just keeping people out of the lane, um, certainly able to contain individual matchups himself. Um, I, I see a really toolsy kind of special quality defender from him in those aspects. But what, what have you kind of seen from him defensively in, in your film study? I mean, I totally agree with that. Like, uh, I think he has a, a, the incredible like trait as far as closeouts. A lot of guys, uh, I mean, it's just really difficult against like even Division One like high major guys to close out on the guy and then still uh, be able to kind of uh, contest the three-point attempt, but also uh, be in position to contain and uh, recover if they do attempt a dribble drive. And uh, Green is a master of that with his body control, uh, really fluid and uh, uh, excellent, uh, you know, movement skills. Uh, maybe, arguably, you could even say maybe the fastest player in the open floor in the entire class. So that's kind of like where I'm going with it is like because uh, you said he's kind of like uh you know jack of all trades master of none but i think uh, right after that you said he has the super special athletic uh, ability and speed and i think that's kind of his uh outstanding specialty is that uh you know uh mobility and uh speed 
and uh, you know, agility and body control and all that uh, in particular on the defensive end. But I, I think it's uh, underrated and valuable on the offensive end also being able to create those transition opportunities with the speed that he has. Uh, I think that will translate to the NBA level to some degree at least. And, uh, you know, I think that's a, a, a way to kind of uh, add value to the team without uh, having plays run for you and that sort of thing. And then, uh, yeah, well, I'll wait to go for the offensive stuff. But, yeah, I think I think Green should be even higher. I mean, uh, you said the, you think there's uh, 10 guys or more than that in this class that have, like, star upside realistically? Yeah, re- realistically, that that's kind of what I was seeing. Um, and, I mean, we can go through I – don't, I don't know how much that um, – you've seen some of my observations or heard some of our observations. But, I mean, I could just kind of go through the list, my, my, my top 14 that I've already gone through for anybody who, who's listening in on the pod who has already heard this, but I have Cole Anthony, number one. I have Wiseman right behind him, Avdia, Lamella Ball, Anthony Edwards, Onyeko Okongwu, Killian Hayes, RJ Hampton, Tyrese Halliburton, Devin Vassell, Isaac Okoro, Obi Toppin, Jaden McDaniels, and Precious Achua. Um, the, that's my top 14, and, and you don't necessarily have to agree with, with that top 14. It's just when I'm evaluating yeah. those guys, I, I, see the, I, I see a lot more clearly – star potential star upside with those guys right like if i have a lottery pick and, and i'm acting as a gm in a draft the the one thing i'm trying to do above anything else with a lottery pick is is i'm i, I am going to try to go star hunting right so if i'm going to take somebody with one of those picks that needs to be an outcome that i'm looking for or if they aren't a potential star they need to have a, a incredibly high-end role-player outcome on on both ends, not just like a specialist, right? Like you can make that argument that Devin Vassell can be more of like a defensive specialist, but um, obviously he has the shooting aspect to his game. But if you go back and even watch some of his stuff at Florida State, um, he, he certainly showed enough potential that he's going to be able to attack a closeout, come off, go into a one-two dribble pull-up. And, and that's a part of his game that he was working on in college. And I think it's something that he's going to improve in the NBA. And those kind of little wrinkles, those little nuances, give him more ways to just score points than just spotting up in the corner, right? Um, so the, that's that's a question mark to me about Josh Green's game is him being able to do more off the dribble and actually create better offense in the half court other than just spotting up. Like you're talking about his transition attack. Obviously, that's a huge selling point to, to any player offensively is being able to fill the lane correctly in transition and, and being able to, to choose the correct way to score. And we can move past his defense. I mean, offensively, what he did really well was he he shot it really well deep from the corners. He averaged about 42% from both spots and, and certainly shooting 78% from the free throw line. I mean, going off of those numbers as well as the eye test, there's nothing that leads me to believe he can't fully expand his range out um, and make that a main selling point to his offensive attack. So, I mean, other than his, his, his three-point shooting from those easy spots on the floor, kind of what you were talking about in transition, I mean, what, what are some things that he might be able to do offensively that you think he can kind of push past that, that role player ceiling and move into that lottery tier or, or what earns him a spot in that lottery tier? I mean, it's interesting with Green. I mean, first of all, I'll say I, I just was asking, like, do you think there's a realistic chance for like 10 players to be? And if you believe that, that's fine. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I just I don't agree with that. That's why I would have Green higher, I think, because he has. Uh, like high-end role player upside and to me in this class that's worth a top 10 pick but if you again believe in the star upside of those guys that's that's what i would find but uh, anyway um what i was gonna say is uh with green uh yeah it's interesting like he shot 
I feel like maybe a little bit over his head on those, some of those spot offs that you talked about from the corners. But then on the other hand, kind of the uncertainty of the draft is uh, like on the long twos and a lot of these runner shots, he shot so badly last year. And the, on the one hand, you may say, oh, like this guy can't score in a half court. He sucks. Like if he takes a dribble, that's it. It's going to be a miss. But on the other hand, those shots, it's not, he only took like a total of maybe 80 or 90 attempts, something like that. I mean, that's a decent number, but that's still like a, from a statistical standpoint, that's still a relatively low sample size. So, uh, you know, that that could be like a positive for him in a strange way where, you know, he shot poorly on these shots last year, but was that just like, you know, uh, a luck of the draw and some of the bad bounces that he may have had? Because you watch him on film, he doesn't look so bad taking these runners and some of the wonderful pull-ups. They're not going in for him, but, you know, the shots themselves don't look so bad. And, uh, you know, he showed the touch, at least on the spot-ups and stuff. So, uh, yeah, if uh, that turns around for him, uh, you know, th- uh, there could be more upside there than uh, some people realize, at least as far as uh, attacking in the half court. And, of course, I think another thing that's really underrated with Green is his uh, passing and decision-making. Like, this guy is a freshman 6'6". Six, six. There's not a lot of guys, and especially with his athleticism, that could make, like, quick decisions as far as uh, playmaking on the move and stuff like that off the dribble. Like, you know, there's some guys that could, uh, you know, make a, a decent read, like, from a standstill when they're, like, standing at a spot and they're, you know, kind of watching the offense develop, but he could like uh, take a few dribbles and as the uh, defense and the offense, you know, rotates and uh, uh, changes, uh, guys change position and stuff, he could make the correct pass and really find open guys and show some creativity and uh, kind of uh, recognition of angles and uh, 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 where everybody is on the court and stuff like that. So I think that's an, another kind of underrated part of his game is his uh, p- uh, decision-making as a passer and his uh, vision uh he could really move the ball really well and that could be another way that he kind of provides value as a kind of a, a quote-unquote star role player you know like a role player plus like an uh you know uh Otto Porter Robert Covington those type of guys uh uh that uh really aren't uh you know high usage stars but uh provide lots of uh value to winning uh potentially so yeah uh I think that's another kind of um asset that Green has in his game is the playmaking no, and, and, and I'm glad you brought that point up, and I certainly a- agree with that. And that's something that, that I'm glad you said it because that, that that's you get that off a of film study, right? You're, you're not going to see that by the numbers. Like, you go back and look at his college stats, you're going to see 2.6 assists per game to 1.6 turnovers per game. So that, that ratio isn't necessarily telling you what kind of playmaker he is. But if you go back and watch him in situations in Arizona, you hit the nail on the head regarding some of those quick decisions he's making coming off of those reads and maybe that is where he, he's best maybe he's not supposed to be this incredible half court score maybe that runner's not going to fall for him I think more of that and you brought that up that he doesn't look out of place taking those shots I agree I think he's comfortable handling the ball in the half court being a decision maker maybe taking some of those shots but I mean how much was he really asked before his time at Arizona and certainly before he gets into the NBA how much was he really asked to be that kind of half court creator an excellent shot maker. Like you talk about a lot of these guys going back to high school, they're not always trained to, to hit those shots in those ways. Like the ha- like the transition scoring that we've talked about with green, that's obviously a major selling point of his game. You, you figure the majority of his points and, and his shots are going to come from opportunities like that. So, I mean, you go through some of these prospects over the years, you talk about, well, why don't they have a jumper coming into college and then coming into the NBA? It's because a lot of them have, are so much more athletic than a lot of the other guys they're playing against, they don't have to rely on skills like that to necessarily get buckets and and, and sell themselves to a college program or a professional program. I, I think more players overseas 
have absolutely been, been asked to develop a jump shot or, or some, of, some of those quick runners or pull-ups as part of their games because they have to score in, in, in different ways in, in, in the year, especially the European game than something like on an AAU circuit where a lot of it is up and down basketball and they're asked to rely more on their athleticism. That's not always the case in some of those overseas programs where the, the court's always tighter, the defense is always tighter. So they kind of have to be a little craftier um, in terms of creating for themselves and finding different ways to score. So um, that, that's a part of Green's game that I think can, can come in time, but it, it's not something that I'm 100% sold. Hey, he's going to have this as part of his game in three to four years down the road. It's going to differentiate himself on offense and, and give him more of a role going forward. But that playmaking aspect, that part of his game, when you put that with his defense, with his ability to hit spot-up shots, I mean, the one, one name, I don't know if you heard this name for him, coming out of high school, but I certainly heard the Andre Iguodala comp um, for him coming out of high school. And yeah. I, th I think that was like an appropriate comp at that time, but getting to see him operate more in college, I, I think we have to give Iguodala a little more credit in terms of what he's able to do off the dribble in the half court. But I mean, maybe like a later career Iguodala, the things that he's asked to do, right. He's asked to, to potentially make plays for others down the stretch. You, you see him obviously now as, as an older player, he's spotting up a lot more in the corner and, and then kind of taking his defensive matchups as they come. But that, that, that was a name that I heard and, and maybe that can be his upside at which point. Yeah. I would absolutely have him too low. I mean, I don't know if that's the exact right comp. I think, uh, green is, uh, further along, especially as far as his range uh, shooting, but, uh, you know, Iguodala is a really special player as far as some of his, uh, you know, passing vision and the uh, ability to create in the half court is much better. I think well, one issue Green has is kind of, if I remember this correctly, I did the scouting a while back, but I think he has some problems with like uh, ankle agility, which is the reason he kind of struggles to uh, change uh, direction quickly in the half court situation mm -hmm. and isn't as effective uh you know, getting to the rim and finishing in half court situations. But, uh, you know, he has these great uh, agile and fluid hips and uh, mid body, which is why he's so, you know, mobile and effective athletically on the defensive end. So it's kind mm -hmm. of a, you know, weird uh, thing with him where, you know, on the defensive end, he's this incredible athlete, but an offensive end, at least in the half court, it's not quite as effective uh, as effective. And you're absolutely correct about uh, high school because he was so dominant in transition with that speed and his, you know, a six six guy who's that fast, you know, nobody in high school is stopping that. It's just, you know, so uh, as a senior in high school, he kind of uh, started to take notice of his own weaknesses. And you saw him take some jumpers off the dribble just uh, in, mm -hmm. you know, some of the games they had like blowouts and he was just kind of practicing out there. You know what I mean? So like, uh, yeah, he took some shots, but yeah, mostly he just was so dominant in transition that it wasn't really... Uh, you know, something that was a big part of his game. And it's also worth noting from a statistical perspective that uh, I'm a, obviously, as you could tell here, a big believer of green, but uh, he did shoot just 60% from the free throw line and a considerable amount of attempts in AU. So, uh, and, you know, his three-point percentage was considerably worse there as well. So it, it will be interesting to see how his shot develops if he is, like, if this uh, season is uh, legit with his uh, spot-up shooting and he could translate to that to the NBA fairly quickly. Or if he has, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, some struggles as a shooter and some real problems shooting, and I think that could uh, definitely hurt his stock and hurt his career considerably if that, uh, you know, doesn't turn out well for him. No, I agree. And and one of my huge scouting philosophies, just in general, is that what well, what kind of bankable skills do you have where you can come in and a coach can look at you and say, okay, so you can do this, you can do this 
and you can do this. Okay, you've now earned a spot in the rotation because you, you can do certain tasks and make certain plays that I can ask of you, and you're going to be able to execute those plays at a high enough level to keep yourself on the court and to be able to develop those other areas of your game, right? So offensively, obviously, transition basketball, up and down basketball, that's something that a lot of young players can do from day one because they've, they've, they're used to doing that, right? They've done it their whole lives. But if that corner shot is real, and again, he shot 36.1% from three overall in college and 78% from the line, as I mentioned, if that's real, if he's able to at least draw contact and convert points at the free throw line and hit those corner shots to kind of give himself some other opportunities to develop those parts of his game on offense, I mean, that, that that's a huge selling point. And, and anytime you can earn minutes in a rotation in your rookie year, no matter how you're able to do it, that's the most important thing, right? Because these guys are all incredibly young. They all need to come in. They all need to learn their role and how they can adjust to the NBA game. And, and, and it's tough. We, we, we kind of don't sell that point enough as scouts and evaluators that adjusting to NBA life is, is not easy. When you talk about all the other things off the court that come into it, and you talk about on the court, you're dealing with guys who veterans have had their established roles for years and years, and you're coming in, you're potentially taking touches and opportunities away from, from those guys. You better be able to do some of those tasks really well. You better be able to earn those minutes. So when we're talking about that, yeah, if, if Green can do those things coming in, then he's absolutely going to get opportunities and, and he's going to be able to shine, especially on the defensive end. So so I, I agree with that. And one other point I know you were talking about, um, so some of his hip ability, yeah, that does help him on defense. He's probably the best guy I've seen in this class as far as sitting down in a stance and being able to quickly rotate his hips and being able to contain somebody in front of him. I, I don't know about if you have any other guys in this class that you kind of noticed that from, but to me, he's been the best at doing that. That exact thing, yeah, I would say he's the best. I mean, just like one-on-one -on -one, uh, perimeter defense, you know, Isaac Okoro is obviously incredible. Uh, you know, he's not in this class, but Aaron Henry, I think, is one of the top kind of wing guard defenders uh, on ball. He's really good, but obviously he didn't stay in the draft. Uh, so, yeah, I'd say those three off the top of my head that are really good. Scotty Lewis is pretty good as well, but, again, not in this draft. Uh, he's in 2021. Yeah, Okoro, Okoro's a dominant defensive prospect in his own right. I, I just think I think Green, he's a little more quick twitch. And I, and I think he's that's, more like that's fluid and agile as far yeah. as like staying with a guy, whereas Okor is more like power and uh, effort and energy and like anticipation, uh, you know, uh, mentally. Whereas with Green, it's just he's so damn fluid and like balanced and agile that yeah, he just sticks to you. Absolutely. So after Green, moving past him at, at 16, I have Tyrese Maxey now. I've heard all different kinds of opinions on Maxi from that he should be a lottery pick to some scouts have him as low as near the end of the first round on their boards. Um, and, and I kind of sit in the middle of both having him at 16. I'm actually sold more on him on the defensive end with him than offensively. And, and I know that wasn't his main draw coming out of high school. I mean, heading into Kentucky, he was viewed as a combo guard who could fill it up with the best of them in the country. And, and yeah, sure. His, his opening statement game against Michigan state was impressive with that exclamation mark of a deep shot. But as the year went on, I, I think a lot of teams were able to figure him out. He's, he's not a primary initiator on offense. You know, he, he's going to look to score, um, but, but he's undersized to, to do so in a secondary role. He's not the same kind of crafty ball handler like a CJ McCollum to consistently hold his own against bigger defensive matchups from, from a full-time starting two-guard spot. Um, and he, he gets himself in trouble at times with his shot selection, and, and he settles too much, for, for me, for shots outside the paint when he's proven at times that he's strong enough to deal with contact in the lane and finish, 
especially in transition where he was one of the best transition guards in the country. Obviously an electric option there to get out on the break, and he made the most of those opportunities um, when he had them. But I just don't see him as a complete enough lead ball handler to, to hand him the keys to, to a starting job. Now, um, you may bring this up. One surprising point, obviously, when, when I talk about his, his opportunities as a lead ball handler, he was effective in pick and roll sets. I mean, he, he was among the top um, oper- operators in those sets coming out of college, um, averaging about a point per possession according to Synergy stats. I mean, that puts him in excellent company. So maybe I'm a little too down on his decision-making as a whole. But, I mean, Mike, when you take a look at his offensive package, Tell me where I'm wrong about Maxi, if I am, and what he can bring to a team immediately to, to earn himself minutes and possibly a starting gig. Actually, with you, I have Maxi 15, so we're pretty close here. There I we think. go. There you go. Yeah, I, with Maxi, uh, that, I was going to say that's another guy who's a great on-ball defender, but uh, you know, smaller than Green, and of course, so can't guard like up positions as much. Uh, but uh, yeah, on offense, I think he's really good, like against closeouts and kind of like as a secondary guy. Uh, that's interesting. They were so effective in pick and rolls, but I, I, I'm guessing a lot of those were kind of like secondary pick and rolls where you'd have like Higgins mm-hmm. set up the initial action and then kind of kick out to Maxi and Maxi would run the pick and roll after that. And uh, he's definitely effective. Uh, again, another guy with a really great balance of body control, uh, uh, you know, changing directions rapidly or like a hard plant, right? And uh, behind the back dribble uh, the other way, you know, quickly and getting around guys. And then, uh, you know, using that uh, kind of... Uh, strong mid body and uh uh his aggressive uh uh mentality to finish at the rim at a really high rate this year he did that uh really really well i was really impressed with his ability to get to the rim and finish at the rim i was surprised how good it was uh from au i thought of him more as a jump shooter and uh you know i was kind of uh in on him as a point guard i thought he would be able to uh execute uh you know um the playmaking and setting up the offense. And he really, like you said, was not able to do that. And uh, even when Higgins was out, uh, you know, during certain moments in certain games, or if he missed, I think he missed like one game where Max, he played a lot of uh, point guard and it really showed that he was not at all prepared to be a high major starting point guard and really run an offense and execute sets and set guys up and, you know, be an initiator for the offense. Uh, It really wasn't pretty, a lot of bad decisions and really, disappointing in that uh, sense for me. That's why Maxi kind of has dropped out of the lotto and out of the top 10 for me. But, you know, still definitely a lot of talent there. And I definitely believe in the shot, even though the mechanics need some work, particularly his lower body. And, uh, you know, he has a lot of problems leaning in or like kicking his legs out on shots. But uh, uh, I think the touch is definitely there. The confidence is there. And uh, I think uh, it'll come around. So from that sense, uh, the defensive end, like you said, is very good. I think he'll be a solid player, another guy who will be solid, kind of a role player, probably third guard type. But uh, I know some people are like big believers in him, like you said, like in the top three and stuff, and I'm definitely not really seeing that. Yeah, and we're going to come back around to, to the defensive end in a second. I mean, just to kind of wrap up some things about him offensively, um, you, you mentioned that a lot of those play types were probably like secondary pick and rolls, like, like probably like a dribble handoff coming around on the rescreen and then making a quick decision out of those actions. A- absolutely. If you go back in the film, the, those are a lot of the decisions, quick decisions and, and sets that he was involved in as far as those play types. But even, even being able to make a, a quick decision and the right decision out of those actions – that's still an incredibly valuable skill to have as a secondary ball handler. Um, but but he, he is going to have to be able to shoot the ball better. And I agree with you. I don't think it's too much of a mechanics thing. I think obviously the confidence is there. I think it was more about shot selection for him, right? Like, And, and it confuses me. It, it befuddles me because 
you you mentioned his finishing package. He he was he's able to convert shots inside, right? Like like he he is a bulldog. He's built compact. He's a strong guard. He he doesn't have any problems, or nor he has the confidence to absolutely crash into the defense and kind of find a way to either get to the line or or, or convert on those looks. So it, it, it confuses me why he didn't take advantage of that strength more and why he would settle for those outside jump shots. Maybe it's because that that's something that he wants to sell to scouts. Like, hey, look at my range on my jump shot. I can hit these shots, right? Like, this is going to keep me on the floor in the NBA. That could absolutely be part of it. I don't know, Maxie. I haven't talked to him personally. But, I mean, we've seen that from other prospects before, right? They go out there. They know they want to prove a skill, and they try and do it a little too much. I, I know that's a concern that I've seen certainly with Wiseman if we went back to him that that's something where even in his few games at Memphis he was trying some of those turnaround shots maybe a little too much um to just prove that he has a jumper and that, that that's something in his toolbox right but yeah I think with Maxi, it's more about shot selection not necessarily that he can't even even hit those looks I think also the runners I mean that's kind of a the UK offense deal the way it uh, works with all the pin downs and the free throw in and stuff mm-hmm. they'll set you up for a lot of uh um uh, runners and like those short range type of shots but still like there was a lot of opportunities where he had the open lane in front of him and like we talked about considering how effective his finishing was this season you know you want to see him take it to the basket and he's just like uh, settling for these runners but what i do like i will say when he does get to the basket he's very aggressive like he's not super explosive like josh green is a lot more explosive than uh, maxi or like even like uh you know cole anthony or anthony edwards but uh you know maxi every time like if he's there he's gonna try to throw down on your head or he'll go like right into your body and like you know push you around like i really love that uh, mentality from him and that's like one of my favorite things about him is like his approach and just uh the how he plays with kind of like a smile on his face but at the same time very competitive just uh, love his mentality like as a fan but also as uh you know if i was uh you know putting a team together he's the type of guy i would want on my team you know what i mean like i wouldn't waste a super high pick on him but like if he was available i'd definitely take him you know i feels like a great locker room guy and all that yeah, and I mean, coming back to his defense, I mean, I, I was thrown off a little bit by what he brought to the table there. I wasn't expecting him to be as good as he was, but he, even talking about you listen to him in interviews and you can tell he's as hardworking of a competitor as they come. That, that certainly stands out Where when he has to pick someone up at half court and just dog him one-on-one. He, he's not an easy guard to get around, even though he doesn't possess elite size or length. He's compact, as I mentioned, and, and he's as strong of a guard pound for pound as a lot of other guys at his position and he, he certainly will not let someone just walk up and down the floor um, and not let him get a say in the matter. So he competes. He stays in front of guys. He, he makes their lives miserable. Again, I'm not in love with his awareness and ability to defend off the ball. Um, just like some of those actions he got involved in offensively, he would certainly miss some things when, when he's asked to, to, to come off pin downs and, and catch. He, he wouldn't always make the correct decision there in terms of where he should actually place himself coming off of those actions. So I think he has a ways to go IQ-wise off the ball. But what do you see from – for Maxi defensively that gets you excited for his future in the league in, in, in that regard, because that's what's going to separate him from coming into the league and being another Malik Monk, right? Like Malik Monk was certainly asked to shoot the ball a lot and score the ball a lot at Kentucky, but they share, uh, obviously Maxi's a little bigger than him. He's stronger than him, but they, they share the same stature in terms of height and, and, and role wise. You saw them do a lot of similar things at Kentucky. And, and if Maxi's going to be a Jack like Monk is, I don't see him sticking any better in the league than, than I do Monk, but defensively that is absolutely one place where he can stand out and, and be different from Monk because that was never Monk's game. Monk, much better shooter, much more explosive vertically, but uh, yeah, Maxi much like uh, smarter, I would say overall, has like better feel for the game and much more like uh, 
intense and strong like you talked about a better body but yeah uh, i'm not you know i'm not a big fan of synergy defensive stats but um i think uh if you look up uh, synergy uh, pick and roll ball handler defensively opponents shot something like one out of 22 uh, against maxi was i don't remember the exact name, but it was like some ridiculous uh along those lines and uh yeah he was uh you could see that on tape uh, kentucky definitely plays a very conservative scheme where they uh, kind of want everybody to stick to their own guy. But a uh, perfect example is Josh Green, who played in a notoriously conservative Arizona scheme and uh, did a really good job still, uh, you know, managing to, uh, 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 you know, uh, stay active away from the ball and uh, kind of uh, get into the gaps and, uh, you know, know when to help, know when to get into passing lanes and stuff like that. Whereas with Maxi, you saw a lot of less of that. But I will say, um, even going back to high school in AU, he's always been a very good uh, shot blocker for a player's size and his position. And uh, he does a really good job uh, with, uh, you know, timing and uh, hand placement on contests. Uh, pretty good shot blocker on ball, you know, relatively. And uh, when he is, uh, when he was in position uh, around the rim, you know, for a 6'3 guy or whatever he is, uh, or 6'2 even maybe, uh, no, I think he's 6'3. Uh, yeah, he um, did a relatively good job, you know, uh, protecting the rim and stuff like that, which uh, a lot of guards, you know, that stature will just get out of the way. If they're like in there and somebody's about like a big guy is going up for a dunk, they'll just get out of the way not to get dunked on. But Max, at least some of the times he'll try to get in there and again, use his body. And I think that that's kind of an underrated uh, ability and thing that uh, some guys do and some other guys don't. And that could provide some value to your team where you, you know, you may stop two points uh, every other game or something like that. But if, that adds up over the course of the season is actually a considerable, uh, you know, uh, value add. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think Maxi uh, has some upside defensively uh, as a team defender. But, yeah, last year was a little bit disappointing in that uh, sense. And uh, I was pretty high on his defense coming in, so it kind of lined up with what I thought. Uh, his offense is what surprised me. But on the defensive end, it kind of lined up with what I had coming into the season. Absolutely. So, uh, m- moving past Maxi at 17, uh, a fan favorite in, in, in the draft Twitter community and a fast riser up boards. Sure. I, I, I have Patrick Williams out of Florida State. Um, 6A forward prospect, likely at least to start his career kind of as a stretch power forward who I have more questions about than answers, and, and maybe we can hash out some of those here today. Um, I, I see the upside based on the athletic package and some of the skills he flashed in, in very small sample sizes in college in terms of shooting touch and the ability for him to step into and create a mid-range shot off the bounce, some of those one-two dribble pull-ups that, that he was able to pull off. But his standstill shooting mechanics from deep don't throw up any red flags to me. I think he just needs some more practice time in terms of shooting off the bounce. Um, I, I don't love how he sets up those shots with his handle, but, but the speed at which he can stop and pull up fascinates me and leads me to see what others are seeing as far as his upside, I mean, if he's a 3-4 combo forward who can play out in the wing offensively, then, then we're talking about someone who I have far too low, and he could be one of the top players in the class. But as of right now, the way I see it, jumper's inconsistent. I mentioned my hesitancy with his shot creation. Yes, he's an athlete in transition, but, but other than baseline cuts and backdoor moves as well as some hustle plays on the offensive glass, I'm not sure what else I'm asking of him to do at a high level in the NBA right now offensively is his defensive versatility and finishing package enough to get him 10 to 14 minutes out of the gate I mean given some of the competition he might see at that position probably but I think he's someone who requires patience and could stand to learn more in the G League as opposed to having the pressure on him to succeed right away in the league I mean being drafted in the top 10 where a lot of scouts are saying he could go now you're expected to be in a rotation right away in your rookie season 
Uh, we, we've seen it happen to top picks before who they needed some seasoning and the pressure um, certainly took its toll on, on some of their careers. But how ready do you think Williams is to contribute right away on an NBA floor, Mike? And what, what maybe did I miss about his skill set that could give him a role to start learning some more of those nuances of the professional game moving forward? I, I actually agree with you on Williams. I just looked my board because, uh, you know, I don't remember it. I, I haven't worked on it for a few days. But, yeah, I actually have him exactly 17th like you. I know a lot of people have him, like, in top five, top ten, and I'm always uh, kind of befuddled by that uh, because, uh, yeah, talk about, like, jack of all trades, master of none. I think that kind of applies <laughs> to Williams more than to Green for me. Uh, yeah, I, again, I'm a big fan of speed, and uh, that's where Williams really falls short. Like, his mobility, he's pretty slow and like uh, i remember he struggled like staying in front of matthew hurt you know i mean hurt a little bit underrated athletically but still you know like uh, i mean i'm kind of uh skeptical of the guy really having that much uh creation upside considering his uh lack of mobility and uh he's very explosive vertical athlete but uh horizontal he's not a very good athlete at all uh and uh you know kind of a stick frame really limits his uh you know ability to um change direction and uh, kind of flip his hips and stuff like that. He's actually not a very successful on-ball defender. If you go through and watch his possessions, a lot of guys beat him off the dribble again because of that lack of mobility. And uh, he was a very good uh, team defender. And I do think he has, uh, you know, defensive upside uh, just with his uh, help side instincts and stuff like that, his activity away from the ball, his motor. Uh, I've heard, uh, you know, from uh, Florida State people that not – the Florida State coaches or anything, but like people that were at the practices that he's like a really like uh, great uh, student of the game and he uh, really works well with teammates. And you could see like some of the flashes of that, like uh, off the dribble, like left hand skip passes, like some, you know, flashes of kind of a quote unquote genius, basketball genius, I guess. But uh, I'm highly skeptical of any real uh, uh, upside here. And I think uh, like as far as like star and stuff like that and um yeah, I think to make the NBA to be like a really valuable plus player in the NBA, you have to be really special. And I'm not sure Williams is really special in any sense. Like he's a solid guy overall. Again, he plays a, a potentially really valuable archetype like that uh, big uh, wing uh, type of uh, position or like, a, you know, a mobile uh, foreman. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I don't really see anything particularly special with him more than just being a solid role player that could, uh, you know, uh, has the versatility to fit with various lineups, but I don't really see any like uh, upside for real plus value from Williams. That's interesting. You 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 say that and you bring up um, the the mobility or lack thereof that that aspect to his game. When when you see him being so successful, then on on, on cut play types like backdoor cuts, baseline cuts, uh, you, do you attribute that then more to his IQ level and just the things that he's seeing on the floor versus? his actual one-step quickness and the ability to, to, to kind of cut off the bounce and, and get in the lane more because of his speed? I'm not a big believer in cuts as like an indicator or like a, mm -hmm. a, 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 a what is it called? Prescriptive or a predictive uh, statistic or a play type even on film and stuff like that. I think a lot of that comes down to coaching. Uh, the efficiency on finishing around the rim is a talent. And I think, he, again, he's a great vertical athlete. He's very strong. But uh, as far as, like, uh, the amount of cuts he gets, uh, there's very few players, very rare, where it's actually due to a player's talent. There is sometimes the guys that are actually special, great cutters, but it's very rare. Majority of the time, and I think the case with Williams, it's just a matter of coaching and role and uh, uh, the way defenses were set up uh, against Florida State and stuff like that. 
No, I agree. And, and, and again, a lot of his upside does come down to his creation ability. And if you think he's going to be um, able to play the small forward position in the NBA, especially on offense, right? Like there, there really isn't as much to talk about with Williams as you, you might think, just, just given the, the different perspectives in the room as far as where he could end up in the NBA. But I think you and I are agreeing that we don't really see the, the creation ability right now and that that's definitely going to be something that he becomes. We'll see how he develops in the league over the next few years and how much time he gets on an NBA court right away versus him having to develop somewhere like in the G league to start. But, but yeah, if he's just, if he's just a, a somewhat athletic power forward um, who may have some gifts, might, might be able to make some reads just off of his IQ, that that's great. But if he doesn't have some of those other things, talents and abilities, then he's not going to be that interesting of a player. And I certainly wouldn't burn a lottery pick on him. I agree. So I think his uh, upside is like the Morris twins, you know, like a Marcus Morris type or something like that. I guess he could play the three to some extent, but like, I mean, how, like, that's a solid player, but again, that's the upside. And that's, I think the median outcome is probably even worse than that, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, he's very young. Again, I've heard great guy off the court, like as far as the locker room guy and all that. And, uh, you know, uh, oh, fuck, I was going to say something. Can't remember. Uh, oh, yeah. The, for this draft in particular, I think, and especially as you get into this, like, uh, teams range and stuff, I think uh, the team that takes these guys will be, like, huge for a lot of them. And, I mean, almost all of them, I would say. So, uh, yeah, like, if Patrick Williams ends up on, say, the Spurs or the Celtics where you have this great infra infrastructure and all that, uh, I think that could be a, a, a big uh, kind of... Uh, boost uh to his uh possible upside but uh yeah otherwise i'm uh, i'm somewhat a skeptic yeah the the i i actually really like the morris twins comp a lot for him if that's the kind of player he can be that's great that that's that's certainly a good outcome and that, that's a role that he can have for years and years to come in the league but yeah if that's if that's his only upside then then i i think 16 17 18 somewhere in that range i think that's probably right for him so i, I think you and i are in agreement on that um on this next guy I, I think i have a different opinion on him than some at least offensively and, and that's sadiq bay out of villanova now in terms of size stature and approach to the game offensively i see a lot of similarities to Otto porter three four forward who might be better served as a four three due to defensive concerns more of a mid-range operator who, who's worked and will continue to try and be more consistent from three-point range. Very comfortable picking his spots off the move and rising up inside the arc. Uh, he, he doesn't look to finish at the basket or create contact as much as I'd like him to, but I think in the NBA that that's not necessarily going to change, right? I, I don't think he'll be asked to, to cut as much as he did in college. I think jump shooting and trying to limit defensive mistakes will be what he's asked to do more of in the league. So um, some scouts see more than just a role player in Bay. I personally don't. I mean, that's what Otto Porter has kind of become in the NBA, right? A lot of people had him as a, as a number three type pick and, and talent because they thought that he'd be able to create more in the half court and be more of a go-to scorer than he has been in the NBA. He's kind of been pushed out to the corners. Sure, he's able to, to come off some some pin down screens and, and maybe do some one-two dribble pull-ups, but he, he's, he's not this amazing creator. And I, I see a lot more of the same for Bay. Um, so, Mike, what's your opinion on his fit in the league from an offensive perspective? And, and where's he kind of at in your mind as far as a ranking? I mean, I think you're uh, either overrating Bay or I, I suspect you're underrating Porter. I, I mean, uh, maybe this last year, I haven't watched the NBA as much these last couple of years just because I'm watching so much youth basketball and amateur basketball and all that. But, uh, you know, Porter had some incredible years with the Wizards. He was like, 
you know, value-wise, just as far as the value he gave the Wizards team in, uh, you know, maybe 2018 or whatever, he was probably like a top 25 guy in the entire league. Like, uh, you know, he wasn't, again, not uh, a self-creator, like you said, but he was this incredibly efficient three-point shooter, uh, incredible defensive player, really effective, uh, and a, a very good passer as well. Uh, I mean, even if you go back, cause I, and I'm not going to like act like I've been watching, you know, Georgetown from 2013 sure. or whatever. But uh, I think if you go back, you'd be surprised how Porter, how good Porter was in Georgetown relative to Bay. I think uh, Porter is a much better player than Bay, just to be straightforward. I don't hate Bay. I'm a little bit lower than uh, uh, you are. It's not a huge difference. But uh, yeah, I think Porter was a much, I mean, just like the mobility, Porter was so much faster and uh I think just uh, overall, like, uh, feel for the game and stuff like that. Bay is kind of, he's a pretty good passer, I guess, also, like, but not, I'd say not as good as Porter was. And uh, on the defensive end, I definitely don't think he uh, has the same impact that Porter did at Georgetown. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that Bay is going to have the same statistical output as Porter, because obviously, yeah, Porter was a different player at Georgetown. He was a featured offensive option um, for that team, and, and he, he certainly did his part in getting wins for, um, the Hoyas, but also, as you mentioned in the NBA with the Wizards, he certainly did his part to earn um, would near a max level contract or some would consider the amount of money he got a max level contract, right? Like he hasn't been a slouch in the That's... NBA, but but I think may, maybe it's more a little bit of uh, recency bias. What have you done for me lately? That's kind of been the role that Porter's had, I guess, coming off of some of those injuries. He's been a little more limited in terms of his creation ability. So maybe I should change that narrative to not what Porter once was, but more what Otto Porter has become in, in, in today's game and where he's at now. Would, would, that, would that be more fair to say in your opinion? Yeah, yeah I think if you said that, it would be uh, uh, less okay. uh, kind of uh, antagonistic or whatever. But what's called... I still think there's uh, some considerable differences, though, because Porter's, uh, again, more mobile and kind of thinner, whereas Bay is uh, this big body guy, uh, you know, I, obviously a very good shooter. But uh, I think besides that, on the offensive end, a lot of times we'll try to kind of push guys around and uh, uh, bully guys a little bit inside. I think that's uh, uh, the part of his game besides uh, shooting that kind of uh, differentiates him from Porter to me, at least in my mind. But uh yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm again with Bay, uh, kind of like Patrick Williams. Uh, I gotta wonder why you only have them one spot apart. Uh, I mean, wh- what, why do you think uh, Bay is, I guess, because you know, Patrick Williams is what, uh, two, yeah, more than two years, I believe, yeah, more than two years, uh, younger than Bay. And I don't really don't think Bay is considerably better, you know what I mean? Like, do you value age a lot? I, I, I value age to, to some degree. I just also eval- evaluate again when, when we talk about any sliver of star potential, who are you seeing that from out of the two guys? I'm, I'm seeing that um, not, not out of Sadiq Bey. I'm, I'm seeing that from, from Patrick Williams potentially. Um, and, and we shared our concerns about his creation ability, but that's what separates those two guys in, in terms of ranking to me. But also why no, I but I, I, I'm asking, like, why are they only one spot apart? Why isn't Bay lower? Like, why aren't they further apart? That's what I'm asking. Like, I feel like Bay, because they're, to me, they seem kind of similar, but then Williams is over two years younger. So I would feel like that that's a relatively big difference because, you know, everybody, especially in this range, when you get lower, uh, everybody in the draft is so close and it's so hard to separate guys. I feel like uh, they'd be like at least four or five spots uh, apart just based on that. Well, because I, I've also seen Bay 
um, ha- have a, a decent base level set of skills that I know he's going to be able to come into the league and do. And, and maybe some of that just comes from the program he's coming from, right? Like Jay Wright and Villanova, they, they certainly preach enough defensive principles. I don't think he's going to be as much of a minus on that end as, as some of the numbers in college may have indicated. I think he's absolutely going to be an, an effort level guy. You're going to look at him. He's going to come in. He's going to be a professional and he's going to do his job, right? Those are things that at the end of the day, I believe in and I put stock in. So even if you are more of a role player at the end of the day, if I can have that trust in you to come in and be a professional and, and, and do kind of what I'm asking you to do on, on both ends of the floor, not necessarily playing too far above your role, but certainly not playing under your role and not giving up effort to come in and, and do those things and perform to the best of your ability. I'm going to put stock on that and that as an evaluator. So I, I, I'm going to put maybe somebody who can come in and do three or four things, maybe not at an incredibly high level, but a high enough level versus somebody that's primarily a specialist, right? And I, I think you're, you're going to have a question mark I have a feeling then about the next guy on my board here, who's Aaron Neesmith. I have in 19, so that's lower than Bay. You might see more of an upside to to Neesmith, but to um, me, I, I see him as a specialist, right? I think he's going to come in and do one thing incredibly well. We, we know he's going to shoot the ball well. He's probably going to be over 40%, or if not at 40%, just slightly under it in his rookie year, but that's a specialist role. Right? I, I can see Bay doing a little more than just staying in a corner or running off a screen and shooting. And that's all we're going to really ask him to do. I don't, I don't really like uh, Nace. He doesn't know to, like, he's not a very smart player, especially on the defensive end. He's like really bad. And like those guys that are just like incredible shooters, like you talked about Malik Monk. That's actually an interesting, in my opinion, comparison for Neesmith. I mean, obviously Neesmith is a lot taller and Monk mm-hmm. is like more athletic, but when you kind of cancel those two things out, outside of that, I think there's a lot of similarity with Neesmith and Monk. And I think uh, Neesmith maybe uh, 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 in the NBA will hit some of the same walls and have some of the same shortcomings and uh, drawbacks that kind of uh, have hurt Monk's career in the NBA so far. So, yeah. But uh, as far as Bay, I mean, I like him again, just with that 6'8, 230 big body, could, uh, you know, play the wing to some degree, could definitely shoot the ball. You know, that's a player that every single team in the NBA, if you go to down the roster, every mm-hmm. single team will say yes to that player. You know, will be down to have another one of those guys on their team. So just from that standpoint, he could fill a role. But is that a guy I'm really uh, trying to waste a top 20 pick on? I mean, you know, it depends who's available, of course. But I feel like uh, I'd probably have at least a few other guys that I'd look at before, uh, 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 I think, uh, Bay. And, and I think maybe you agree with this point. Um, that, that we can agree to disagree on some of those points, but maybe at least to this, that I, I guess if he didn't come from a program like Villanova, where we know he was taught how to play the game the right way, and, and a lot of those good principles were, were instilled in him that you see come out of those Villanova players, maybe if he didn't bring that to the table and he was coming from a different program, maybe myself or some other evaluators wouldn't have him as high on, on a board. Maybe he would fall. Maybe, maybe that's something that we can share here. I mean, Eric uh, Pascal certainly succeeded last year. I mean, I kind of feel like he lucked into it, to be honest. But, you know, he, def- he sure. can't take it away from him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but if you go back, like, a few years, there's a bunch of guys from Villanova, like, wings, like, Darren Hillier just comes to mind. There's a – I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but you could certainly go back through Villanova's yeah, rosters through the mid-2010s with similar players who, uh, you know, uh, failed to make out any sort of NBA career. But, uh, yeah um, – yeah, I mean, I, I that's just my opinion. I mean, I, I don't hate Bay. I know some people like talk about like this guy's like super slow, 
he's not going to be able to defend anybody in the NBA. But I don't know. He was actually, like, switching one through five for Villanova. Yeah, he wasn't always sticking with the super, like, fastest guards all the time super well. But, I mean, he did a decent job considering he was guarding one through five again. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think he has some defensive versatility on the ball and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I was pretty impressed with his passing last year and stuff like that. So I do think he's a solid, like, NBA player in a uh, draft like this one, which is not a particular strong one, in my opinion. I think he's going to be worse, probably a first-round pick. But uh, I think there's a few guys uh, more than likely uh, still on your board that I would take above him. Sure, sure. I mean, and we can get into to Neesmith, who is 19. I know we, we were already talking about him a little bit, but... I mean, we, we mentioned that I see him as a shooting specialist. I mean, he, he can cut and, and do some other things off the ball to get open looks, but I don't trust his ability to finish inside. I, I don't love his body and his frame in that sense. I, and I know he stands at 6'6", six, six and, and yeah, that, that's an advantage in terms of him being able to shoot over the defense, but I don't see him really being, coming in and, and, and making a mark as far as driving through the defense or, or even really draw in contact and, and getting a foul to be able to get to the line to convert um, where he does shoot an incredibly high percentage from the line. Um, but he's not a stopper on defense. He's not an above average offensive creator. We, we know who he is. So I think this is more of a situation with him of, we know what he can do. We, we can ask him to be a shooting specialist. He's going to come in and, and in a league that, that absolutely values shooting at an incredibly high premium. You know, we, we can't underrate somebody who just in terms of pure efficiency and, and being able to shoot the basketball at that high of a clip, we, we can't underrate that in his, in this sense. So that's why I'm not going to have him lower than 19 on my board. But I mean, do, do you see any other kind of outcome for, for Neesmith other than what we've really talked about? And um, how do you think he ends up faring as a prospect on both ends of the floor, not just the shooting? You kind of alluded to, to, to some of the misconceptions or some of the concerns you might have on the defensive end. I thought he was just, I mean, Vanderbilt, you know, was not a great place to be. But, uh, yeah, his team defense, just uh, like recognition as far as uh, playing off ball and being in position to recover uh, was just atrocious. It felt like for every one of those threes he made, he gave up another one on the other end because he would constantly leave his guy for no reason, kind of space out, just wander around the court seemingly. So, yeah, his defense was really bad. Not a big fan of his decision-making on the offensive end either. And he certainly shot, like, incredibly well during that 10-12 game stretch. But uh, outside of that, even if you go back to his first year, he didn't shoot, like, a super impressive percentage. I mean, he was solid, I guess, but he wasn't, like, elite. But So he had this stretch of elite shooting for 10 games and like don't get me wrong i'm optimistic about his shooting overall but i do think i'm not saying he's gonna be like a non-shooter by any stretch of course but uh but you know at the same time this is like 12 games or something like that where he shot really well and besides that even if you go back to his freshman season the shooting is not nearly as impressive overall and uh you know uh I'm not sure he didn't really play AU. He played in high school, but I don't know what his high school stats were. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll be a solid shooter. But you could go back down the list again where you got look at a guy like Jordan Hamilton who had really similar uh, numbers as far as uh, shooting a lot of uh, different play types and uh, shooting a high percentage and stuff like that. He got picked, I think, uh, 18th or something like that and uh, just never was able to make much of a mark at the NBA level. And uh, yeah, I think there's uh, no real guarantee that uh, Naismith, just because, uh, you know, he has uh, some positives as a shooter and, uh, you know, NBA teams really value shooting right now. That doesn't mean he'll be able to make the league uh, if he's not able to provide any sort of value in any other categories, which, you know, there's questions about. 
but uh, you know, I I do like his length. Like you said, the ability to shoot over guys, and uh, I think he has a pretty good body actually. I think uh, you know he has some strength to him, and uh, will be able to put on weight fairly easily without like losing any mobility that he may have. Well, so I I really buy his mechanics. I, I think he's probably coming into the NBA at the best possible time that he could. I know you mentioned somebody like Jordan Hamilton. The the league was also in a, in a different place when it comes to putting that much of a premium uh, on shooting. I mean, we can, we can go That's down true. the line. Pr- probably one guy that, that I really think he, he's going to look like, at least coming into the league from day one, May- maybe not later on. He'll probably ultimately be a better shooter than this guy, but he, he really reminds me a lot in, in, in how he moves and how he comes off of certain screens and, and where he's setting himself up and kind of how he's always ready is Furkan Korkmaz. And and you would you really say that Korkmaz does anything well or, or should be counted on to do anything else well other than shooting the basketball? I mean, I think him and Neesmith share a lot of similarities. And if Korkmaz can can certainly earn a spot in a rotation, keep those minutes, um, I th- I think Neesmith is going to come in do the same thing and and probably end up being better because I just buy I buy Neesmith's mechanics better overall. I mean, he gets the ball off much quicker. He that man is always ready to shoot no matter where he's running or where he's coming from, he is always ready to, to put the ball in the basket. So, I mean, that that's kind of what I've seen uh, a lot from him, just kind of studying him and watching him. No, I actually agree on the shooting aspect. I think Neesmith is a better shooting prospect than Korkmaz, but uh, I think overall Korkmaz was a lot better player at the same age and stuff like that. Korkmaz is like a really explosive athlete and uh, pretty quick and uh, actually pretty good passer and uh, defensively he's not good on ball like you guys will like run him over because he's not very strong and like uh, sometimes uh, lacks uh, kind of mental uh, uh, discipline and stuff like that but uh, he has pretty good instincts away from the ball like he'll create a lot of uh, defensive uh, like deflections like create events and stuff on the defensive end pretty well I mean like I mean obviously in the NBA you don't see all of that stuff because he's playing a certain role off the bench in the NBA everybody's so damn good but if you to put Korkmaz on Vanderbilt uh, last year, he would freaking, like, destroy everybody. Like, you know, he's, he's a good player. He's a really talented player. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, finally, we, we have a guy I know you were excited to talk about, Mike, um, when I was giving you some of the names on, on my board, and, and that's Jalen Smith out of Maryland. So, uh, there, there's a lot of buzz going around here that, that he's a dark horse to be picked in the lottery. And while I don't have that great on him, I can see the appeal and I wouldn't knock someone taking him that high if they had a pick and they needed interior help specifically with, with some upside. A team like Boston, for example, I think he'd actually be a great fit there. Um, 6'10", 225 pounds. He earned the nickname Sticks uh, back in high school because of how lanky he was. But, man, did he pack muscle onto his upper body. And, and mm-hmm. it really did help him this year, particularly on the boards. Now, his lower body strength is still a problem. I, I don't see that really being co- corrected. I think that's kind of just how his frame is. He, he has narrower hips, and I don't really see that changing, obviously. But I, I wouldn't look to him to guard fives full-time and want to post them up and push him out of position. Um, on that same note, I wouldn't look at him to post up anyone bigger than him and, and find real success inside. He, he's a stretch four. He, he has enough to him to masquerade as a five in certain lineups and offer enough floor spacing with his fluid catch-and-shoot J. But, but what, what do you like about Smith, Mike, and, and what are the concerns you have for him as far as his transition into the NBA? Yeah, he's an interesting guy because, like, uh, there's, like, a very wide variety of opinions. Like, I know some people who, like, hate him think he's, like, a fifth, should be, like, 50th or something. Like, it's a late second guy. And I know, like you said, uh, some people have him, like, in the lotto. You know, he was, like, uh, 
just as far as college play, he was arguably maybe one of the five or so best players in the NCAA last year. He was really uh, good for college, at least. And I do understand some of the concerns for the NBA, but just uh, like uh, the reason I was really excited to talk about him, I mean, yeah, like the different opinions on him, but also because I, I didn't really get to see him a huge amount uh, during the year. So I only really like uh, dove deep into him this past week and uh, really went through him and uh, two guys I was thinking as kind of a mix for uh, like an upside outcome for Smith is like kind of a mix of uh, Christian Wood and Miles Turner. So uh, yeah, like seeing success of those types of guys are like uh, even the more extreme examples like uh, Chris Boucher or like a Jonathan Isaac, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with bowl, but you know, uh, those types of guys uh, nowadays, like the longer guys uh, who could shoot and, uh, you know, protect the rim some and stuff like that, uh, have been relatively successful. You could go to Porzingis, another guy. Obviously, there's considerable differences when you're comparing like Smith and Porzingis straight up. But, uh, you know, just from a more broad perspective, uh, that type of role and that kind of lanky shooting guy who could protect the rim again. Uh, I think that's a valuable type of player. And I, I've seen people like criticize those guys a lot of the times because of the, you know, their lack of weight. And like you talked about, the lack of lower body strength and stuff like that. But uh, in today's NBA, there's not a lot of these huge uh, post-up behemoth uh, type of guys that are really going to, you know, take these guys out of the game. And you'll usually be able to have somebody on your team that you could always put in, you know, for those particular matchups if you must, you know. So, uh, yeah, uh, for the most part, I think uh, Smith uh, could be quite a valuable player uh, in the NBA. And I've actually been watching him in a, kind of uh, moving up on him a bit. I think I had him like in the low 20s uh, prior to this week. And then I, I think now I moved him up uh, into the teens, probably like right above uh, uh, Patrick Williams. So we have pretty close here. I have uh, Maxi 15th. Uh, uh, I actually have uh, Patrick Williams 17th and Jalen Smith 18th. But I think I'm, I'm up for moving Smith above Williams now. Um, Smith... Um, yeah, I think you talked about how he improved on his body, but also he improved his uh, uh, feel for the game. I feel like I, I remember in high school, he, I would uh, watch a game and I counted, he would have like one pass the entire game outside of like, uh, you know, uh, kind of pre-rehearsed, uh, like, you know, part of the system where you have to do the dribble handoff or something like that, or you have to like give the ball back to the point guard. But outside of those, I think he would have like one or two passes in some of his games, like the entire game never pass at all. And now this year you saw some like aggressive bounce passes and like passes and move from him. And of course, on the defensive end, uh, playing center and kind of uh, patrolling the paint uh, and utilizing his length, which I think is his kind of biggest strength is uh, uh, using uh, his long arms inside, as, whether as a finisher or a rebounder or as a defensive player. And, uh, you know, playing the five has really allowed him to maximize uh, that value, uh, uh, and especially in the defensive end, as I mentioned. And his shooting is taking a step forward as well. So I've been quite impressed with Smith. I know some people don't like him because he's not like a flashy player. He's not a, like an amazing athlete. He's not a great self-creator or anything. Uh, so some people are kind of like, what is this? Just like a random big guy. Why would I want to draft this guy? But uh, yeah, I, I, I like him. He's a good player. He knows how to play. He's skilled. Uh, uh, he's still young. So I'm in on Smith. I'm in. Yeah, I, I and I mean, I think at this point, in, in the draft, if he would even fall this low, if he would make it out of the lottery, at, at some point you got to stop hunting for stars, right? Like, like at some point you need to take good quality role players who you, you can certainly trust to do a few things really well or, or well enough to be a huge factor in your rotation. And again, if you need a big, if rim protection is something you need, if you absolutely value floor spacing, you have some guards who like to kind of drive inside and create 
um, with an open lane who, who don't necessarily have to be involved in pick and roll actions to be able to separate from the defense and get themselves looks. You can absolutely have Jalen Smith spread out um, to, to the corner and be a floor spacer. He, he provides a lot of value as a big at that position, particularly where we are in the league, as, as we mentioned multiple times here on this episode. Um, but, but yeah, the, there is incredible value to me in having Jalen Smith in your team. And, and, and I agree. I think if anything, he's only going to continue to climb. I certainly don't see him falling on, on people's boards, even despite any kind of lack of athleticism or athletic concerns. He, he, at the end of the day, he's going to be masquerading a lot or, or, or playing enough five, right? Like not, not every five is incredibly mobile and fluid. Um, when you get up to like 6'10", 6'11", and 7 feet. So I, I think those things, that, that might be a little too big of an ask for him, just given the other skill things that he can do really well. So that that's kind of where I have him, and I feel really comfortable with having him in this range. And, and like I said, if somebody takes him a little higher because they, they need a big, um, somebody who can come in and provide a little bit of shooting touch and certainly isn't going to be a negative on defense, if anything, he's only going to be a positive, then, then I'm comfortable with somebody taking him higher. Yeah, uh, and I'll say this also, what's called, um, I was pretty high on Bruno Fernando last year, and at least so far, that doesn't look like a great decision for me. But uh, at the same time, while it's important to adjust to mistakes, you don't want to over-adjust also, and, you know, every player is an individual person, everybody's different, you know, so just because, uh, you know, a Maryland big guy overrated one guy, I mean, it's happened before, I talked to you a little bit about this before uh, uh, on Twitter, that uh I feel like sometimes I overrate the bigs in Maryland. Uh, their system kind of allows them to really maximize their skills, as I talked about with uh, Smith. But uh, first of all, Smith played pretty well as a power forward uh, last year, and he really just improved like the shooting and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and uh, I will say with Fernando also, he's like, uh, you know, he had some nice moments passing, moving the ball out of the post last year and stuff like that. So he showed some improvements, but still like, always was kind of like an airhead and, uh, you know, uh, basketball-wise, I don't know, personally, no disrespect to him, but just like his uh, basketball smarts, never that good. And I'm not saying Smith is some basketball genius. He's not like, you know, Magic Johnson out there or anything. But, you know, uh, he's, uh, I think, uh, a little bit more like aware and uh, 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 what is the word, like um, present mentally uh, on the court uh, than uh, Fernando was. And I do think that's always important across for any prospect in my opinion and uh, I think that could be kind of the thing that separates Smith for me where I'm still confident in rating him relatively high despite at least so far again that Fernando uh, being high on Fernando last year doesn't look so great yeah and 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 kind of like the last big point I'll make on Smith is that um, you you mentioned that he played pretty well at the power forward spot at the four when he was asked to play those minutes if that's something he can do in the NBA if he can play next to another big while still being able to spread the floor and 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 he's not dying on closeouts or anything like that defensively if he's not being made to be a fool on that and when he's asked to kind of drift more towards the perimeter if he doesn't look terrible on that then then that that completely changes his upside and and I would have to to rate him higher than than even I do right now but I I think my my belief in where I have him is that he's probably going to end up playing more five than four at some point and I think he's going to be effective at that spot, but yeah, if he's effective as a four, that 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 changes things. So, so Mike, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. For for all the listeners out there, tell them where they can find you on social media. At Mike Grib G R I B, and then number eight, Mike Grib eight on Twitter. Uh, yeah, follow me. I don't know. I just tweet a bunch about it, like youth basketball and stuff like that. 
No, yeah. you, 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 you make a lot of great points um, on Twitter. You talk about a lot of interesting things, especially some of those high school and AU points that people might not always think about as far as scouting and player development. Anybody listening to this podcast, seriously, give him a follow. You're, you're definitely going to learn something um, lo- looking at his timeline and kind of seeing some of the stuff he puts out, whether it's a video clip, whether he's just sharing some thoughts about some of the AAU programs and high school programs around the country. That's valuable knowledge for, for anybody looking to get into um, player evaluation and player development. So, Mike, thanks again so much for, for being on, man. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you. You too, man. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you all for listening. As always, make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, wherever you get this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, at Draft Deeper, and like the Facebook page as well. I try to mix up some posts in between Twitter and, and Facebook to kind of give different audiences different looks at different content. So make sure to follow us everywhere so you always know what's going on. And next week, I can't wait to be back with another guest. We're going to go through more of the big board, and hopefully we'll have some other playoff things um, to and observations to get into. So as always, thank you guys. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.